We're going to talk for a few minutes tonight about the choices uh, that we make. Have you all ever made a silly decision that you regretted? No. Somebody just emphatically said no. Never. Uh, To which I say very theologically, liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't know who said that. It was over here on this side of the room. And uh, anyway, uh, silly decisions, uh, maybe sometimes even stupid decisions. And sometimes they're monumental, sometimes not so much. I remember when Judy and I were living in Fort Worth, Texas, when I was in seminary, um, my youngest brother, who was a senior in high school, I think at the time, came and spent several days with us. We didn't have any kids at the time. And so Jeremy came out, and I tried to entertain him for several days, and he wanted to go see the Texas Rangers play baseball. We lived not far from Arlington, Texas, and the ballpark at Arlington, their new stadium was brand new at the time. They just built it and opened it. And so we drove down there to get tickets at the box office, and I walked up, and we had two nights that were possibilities. One was a Tuesday night, and the other was a Wednesday night. And I said, well, which one do you want to go to? And the thing is, they were changing series. The Rangers on Tuesday night finished up a series with the Minnesota Twins. They began a new series on Thursday night with the Chicago White Sox. And so we had a choice to make. And uh, I said, which one would you like? You want the Twins or you want the White Sox? And he said, well, I don't know. Do we know who's pitching? And I said, no, I don't know who's pitching. And um, so we began to rationalize which would be better. And the White Sox really weren't strong. The Twins had a strong team. And they had a guy by the name of Kirby Puckett. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kirby Puckett. He's in the Hall of Fame now, so he was a pretty good player. He actually hit a home run the night we went. So obviously we opted to go Tuesday night to see Texas and the Minnesota Twins. But we stood at that window for the longest time, the line behind us, people getting irritated. Make up your mind and buy a ticket. And so, okay, give us Tuesday night. We're Baptists. We don't need to be at the ballpark on Wednesday night anyway. Somebody say amen. And so we, everything pointed to Tuesday. So we bought the tickets for Tuesday night, went, and Kirby was on fire. The Twins were on fire, and the Rangers got thrashed. But we had a good time. I think we paid $40 for two hot dogs and two Cokes. You know how that goes. And uh, (laughs) Wednesday night, we got home from being out for a while and turned the TV on about 9.45. After about 15 minutes, the news comes on. And this is the night after we went to the ballpark, the night we opted not to go. Texas Rangers pitched a guy that night, left-handed pitcher, whose name was Kenny Rogers, not the country music singer, the baseball pitcher. And the lead headline, WFAA Channel 8, Dallas-Fort Worth, that night was, Kenny Rogers throws a perfect game. As long as I live. I mean, I'm 55 years old now. I was, I don't know, I was probably 29 at that time. And I'll never forget that. Because we both hit the floor at that point, you know. What did we do? 
And we just did what we thought best at the time, but that ended up being a decision that we still joke about whenever we're together uh, today. Well, you know as well as I do that even though that's kind of an inconsequential choice when it all gets down to brass tacks, uh, the reality is personal choices really do matter and some can have monumentally uh, important significances in life. You and I both are products of the choices that we make. We are the sum of our choices. Where we are, where we live, where we've worked, where we're working now, our children, the person to whom we're married, we're all products of decisions that we've made. And so let's talk a few minutes about that because we're going to look at a text tonight where that becomes obvious front and center. And as we do, we want to continue to build on the discussion that we started last week concerning the relationship between our friend Abraham and his nephew Lot, who will become eventually a sorry Lot, no question about it. They have returned to Canaan from their time in Egypt. We uncovered last week that Abram had taken Lot, his nephew, together with their retinue all the way to Egypt. That was a poor decision on Abraham's part that nearly cost him his life because of decisions that he made not only to go to Egypt, but then other poor decisions in terms of what he allowed to happen to his wife, what he tried to coax his wife into doing, what she eventually did, the plagues that came down on the house of Pharaoh because of that. And then, of course, Abraham and his entire family were ran out of Egypt on a rail. And they left wealthy. They made some money. They profited while they were there. But they never should have gone there. It was never God's will. And so, as a result, there was, price, there was a price that was paid. And then when they get back to Canaan where they should have stayed, they, they find there is still famine in the land. That's what caused them to have to go to Egypt in the first place. And so they get back to Canaan, and they're jockeying for position in terms of having the best arable, fertile land they can for two sets of flocks that are obviously too large for one location to support. And so they have to make a decision because the land will not support both the family and clan of Abraham and the family and clan of Lot. So there's conflict and choices have to be made. And if you were here last week, you know that by now Abraham is a little bit wiser, a little bit more mature, and he makes the first move. He approaches Lot having concluded it's going to be better for us to divide our herds and families. And then Abraham does an interesting thing. You remember what he did? What does he decide to do? He decides to let Lot choose. He gives Lot, he defers to someone who was his junior, which was a very unusual thing to do because he had the right to control the whole situation. He could have thrown Lot out. He could have dismissed his family. He could have said, get lost. Find your own place. I'm going to have my team uh, patrolling the perimeter. And if we find you, we're going to beat you up or worse. But he doesn't do that. 
He goes and he defers and he says, whatever you decide, I'll decide to go the other way. You make the call, you make the choice. So he surrenders his rights and gives Lot that first preference. Verse 9 of chapter 13, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so now the ball's in Lot's court, and he's faced with an important decision, pretty big decision in terms of his family and in terms of his future. And what I'd like to do tonight for a few minutes is just talk about, with, with this as a backdrop, some very important critical steps to take that are involved in making wise and sometimes bold choices in the will of God. We'll give you five things. And as we go through this tonight, all, listen, all of us have made decisions that we would do over again. I've made a ton of them uh, that I wouldn't do the same way twice. And as I was preparing this message for tonight, I'm going to go through a litany of things here. And I can remember just going through in my mind two or three decisions where I said, okay, in this deal, I did that, I did that, I did that, but I didn't do this. And I didn't do this. And probably I had to do it over again. I'd rethink here and rethink there. So what I'm saying tonight is not meant to be an indictment because the reality is uh, all of us have made choices independently of the will of God. We've made choices based on the tyranny of the urgent. We've made choices because somebody was poking a finger, demanding something had to be decided tomorrow. We've made choices based on emotion, based on what felt right at the time. I was having a discussion with a couple today going through some things and and they were telling me everything out of their mouth was about something that they felt and I said we got to get beyond emotion the question is are you willing to do what you know God wants you to do the question is you need to be making decisions based on what God has said not based on what you feel because emotions will mess you up nine times out of ten isn't that right and so oh, follow your heart no there might be a few occasions to do that, but most of the time if you follow your heart, you're going to get to a place, if that's the only thing you're following, now your heart may be right, it might not be, and sometimes if you follow it at the exclusion of everything else that God says is holy and godly, you'll get into a bad place and sometimes it'll take you years to climb out of it if you're ever able to climb out of it. So let's talk about uh, some critical steps that I think are important and biblical in making wise decisions, bold choices in the will of God. First of all, and this is basic stuff, how about this? Put this on for size. Ask God's direction. Should that not be the first thing that any child of God does? Do you all know how many young people I've had trying to figure out what they're, what they're supposed to do with their life? I just don't know what I'm, and then I ask them, what do you think I ask them? What, 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 how do you feel God's leading you? What's God want you to do with your life? And what kind of look do you think I get? I don't know. I hadn't even thought about it. Well, maybe you ought to go think about that, and let's reschedule one week from today. How about that? And we'll talk about it after you've had time. I'm amazed at how many people. This is what got Abraham in trouble to begin with. He went down to Egypt, and what did he not do? He didn't ask God's direction. He pulled out his GPS, put in the coordinates, 
told Google Maps, Cairo, Egypt. And then it told him exactly how to get there, and he managed to find his own way there. Never gave God so much as a nod. And this is the key thing to remember regarding any of the choices that you faith, uh, faith, uh, face in life. Is this God's choice? You know what the best choice is? God's choice. The best choice is always God's choice. And that's why with any decision, big, small, indifferent, the obvious place to start is with God's perspective because there's no wisdom in a choice that doesn't intentionally involve your active seeking of the wisdom and leadership of God. Now, this is especially important for the big decisions in life. I know we all make what I would call small. Not every decision is the same in terms of consequence. Y'all know that. I'm not saying that you have to go into a prayer meeting with your husband or wife in aisle nine of Publix trying to determine if it's God's will for you to buy Campbell's or Progresso. It's soup for crying out loud. They may even come. Publix brand probably comes from the same factory that the Campbell's does. I don't think God cares which one you buy. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? You're going to get nourished with either soup that you buy. That's not a big deal. That's not a decision of consequence. But sometimes they're really big decisions, and you need to get in on the wisdom of God. Abraham never asked God what he should do in response to the famine. And the thing, same thing happens a lot, like, like uncle, like nephew. Lot, there's nothing in Scripture that Lot ever looks at Uncle Abraham and says, you know what, I can't believe you're giving me this opportunity. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. But let me tell you, I'm not sure that I know. I am spending time with the Lord on this deal. Let me read some Scripture. Let me spend some time with the Lord. Let me get on my face before God because this is like the rest of my life decision and I don't want to mess it up. I just want to make sure I'm where God is and I'm in tune with what the Lord wants. But he never does that. Look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Hint, hint, hint. So Lot chose, this is key, this is critical. Let's say it out loud. Verse 11, together, so Lot chose for himself. Well, you can stop there. That's the key. Underline it. Circle it. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Why? Isn't it interesting? He chose it for himself because it looked like Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible is always what? Good or bad? Always bad. Lust of the eyes. He's responding in the same way. No sign he ever consulted God. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, journeyed east, and they separated from one another. See, this is feelings from the hit song of the 70s, which I will not sing for you tonight. Feelings, right? I feel like a nightclub singer when I sing that. No, you can't trust him because he's making a gut call here, not a God call. He's basing his decision on what felt right at the time. It looks greener, and so it must be better. 
Proverbs 28 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a what? Is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. How many, how, let's just be honest. How many of you have made a decision in your life that turned out to be a bad decision, but at the time you made it, you thought you were making an absolutely sound decision? Anybody here tonight? See, I'm raising my hand with you. See, we've all done that. But to make a wise choice, here's the thing. You need more than a gut feeling. You need something that's greater and higher than what sounds logical or reasonable or rational at the time. What the Bible says you need is wisdom. And there's only one place to, well, there's more than one place to get wisdom, but the critical place to get wisdom is from God. You get wisdom from God by His Spirit. You get wisdom from God through His Word. And that's the critical component in making healthy decisions in the will of God, the wisdom of God. James 1.5, most of y'all, many of you anyway, have it memorized. It's one of the great memory verses of the Bible. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. There's an imperative and a promise in the same verse there. If any of you lacks wisdom, here's what you should do. Ask God. Because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when it comes to wisdom, if you're lacking wisdom, God says, I'm not only willing to give it to you, I'm willing to give it to you in huge quantities, in heaps and loads, liberally. And I know we're not supposed to be a liberal political but that's not what that means. Liberal just simply means abundant. Who gives it liberally, generously in the English Standard Version? To all. Now, that's not to just anybody, but that's to all God's children. To all who belong to Him and who come to God by faith, God gives wisdom generously to those who ask without what? Without reproach. In other words, He's not like so many people in a position of advantage, that when you come to him and say, God, I'm in a position of weakness right now. I'm in the horns of a dilemma. I've got to go to A or I've got to go to B or I've got to decide A or I've got to decide B. And I don't know what to do. I'm perplexed. God's not going to say, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been watching what you've done. You've been living like the devil for the last eight months. And here you come to me asking me for my wisdom from heaven. And God's not going to do that. He's going to say, if you come to him in a right heart with the right spirit, the NIV says, without finding fault. He's not going to say, go clean up your act a little more. You know, I need you to stretch, to get a little higher on the spiritual totem pole. No, without finding fault, without being reproachful, and it will be given to him. And so Lot doesn't do that. I mean, he, he makes a poor choice here because he fails to consult God, and he never gets in on the will of God, which is the very first step in making wise choices. Not what do I want, but what does God want? And that's critically important. Your desire should not be for your best. It ought to be for God's best. And this is the way Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You see that? That's praying for God's best. 
And so that's what we should want, which is why we should ask God when we're in the horns of a dilemma. So you demonstrate wisdom by asking God to give you wisdom, okay? Then once you have asked for God's direction, which is the critical first step in decision-making, second, you seek godly counsel. There is room for human counsel. I've known some people who elevated human counsel over godly counsel, and that's always a mistake. Because I felt a compulsion as given to me by God on more than one occasion uh, that I felt was the right thing to do only to have someone else, even a godly person, give me opposing counsel that created a kind of a, a, a critical moment in my spirit. And uh, so you have to be careful with that, but there is still wisdom in seeking godly counsel and lot doesn't do that either you know i've often thought wouldn't it have been interesting if the first thing that lot had said after saying well let me consult with the lord is to come back from abraham or come back to abraham and look at him and say well you know what you're older than me and you've been around the block a time or two what do you think where would you go if you were in my position And instead, he doesn't do that. He makes a snap decision right on the spot. And that's why you and I need to learn to be careful about making snap decisions. I've been pushed in a corner many times through the years, and I've just learned. It's hard to say it because you run the risk of confrontation. But I have learned the value. If somebody's, if you've got to have an answer today, let me give it to you, no. And that's hard to do. You won't even give me 24 hours to think about it, I need to know right now. Well, okay, then I'm out. Now, if you want to give me a couple of days, we'll reconsider. But if, it's, if you've got to have an answer today, the answer is no. Because you hadn't given me time to stew on the issue. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So success is predicated in large part on good counsel And it's always wise to talk to somebody uh, that you know who walks with the Lord and who's made a similar decision, someone who knows you, somebody knows your temperaments, your strengths, your weaknesses, and ask them for counsel. I met with a person again today after the first couple was in. I had an individual come in to visit with me, and we chit-chatted for a few minutes, and then he said, I need to get your take on something. And they presented a scenario, and he wanted to know what I thought about it. And so for the next 20, 30 minutes or so, we kind of hashed that out. He was trying to arrive at a decision, important decision in his life. That just happened a few hours ago right downstairs in my office. And so that's always a healthy thing to do. And I'm often quick to tell people, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what I think. It may not be the appropriate thing for you, but here's my take on it. You can put that in the blender, put it in the mixer. Ultimately, you need to do what God wants you to do. But here's what I think since you asked. A junior executive asked Henry Ford one time, said, what's the key to success? And Mr. Ford said, making good decisions is the key to success. And the junior executive asked, well, how do you make good decisions? And Ford responded, well, uh, you make good decisions based on experience. Experience is always helpful in making good decisions. The young man thought for a minute and said, well, Mr. Ford, how do you get experience? 
And Henry Ford looked back and said, well, by making stupid decisions. That's how you get experience. <laughs> you know, it's, experience is a great teacher. Um, but, man, I don't have time or the energy or the inclination to learn everything by experience because you could, experience is a great teacher, but if you learn everything by personal experience, you'll end up with a lot of scars, a lot of bruises. I had rather learn from your bad experience. Can I have an amen tonight? That's why I observe, you know, people. This is part of the reason uh, that we have the Bible, by the way. All those Bible stories, I mean, we're here talking about Abraham and Lot and their bad decisions. Why? Because God doesn't want us to make them. So he puts in the Bible a lot of messed up people who didn't always get it right. Paul didn't always get it right. Peter didn't always get it right. Saul didn't always get it right. Samson didn't always get it right. David didn't always get it right. These guys, the Bible's chock full of some guys who walked in harmony with God, who loved God, but who got distance from God and didn't always hit the nail on the head. They still sometimes acted in the flesh. And so you don't learn everything by experience. Learn from the Bible. Learn from others because that's wise. So after taking time to ask God for counsel, ask counsel from people that you know have a heart for God. I wouldn't ask for counsel from people who are walking in, in, not in harmony with God. I've known a lot of people that have confided in people they thought were smart but who didn't know the Lord. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that will lead you into a lot of error based on what they think. And so you want to make sure that the person that you're talking to has a heart that beats for the Lord and that they've been around the block a time or two. And that's just valuable wisdom that keeps you from having to play trial and error throughout all of your life. The problem a lot of people have is that they, they, would, more, they would rather appear to be wise than to actually be wise. I know a lot of people, and maybe some of you, and I've been in that position too, where I really felt like I needed to ask a question, but I didn't want to ask it because I thought somebody would think I was stupid if I asked it. And so it was more important to me to look like a brainiac and then make a decision that made me look like a dunce than to just say, hey, can I, can I throw something past you real quick? Because it's always better to ask a stupid question than try to correct a stupid mistake. And so learn that early. Wise decision makers are people that are willing to be teachable, so seek godly advice. Thirdly, gather the facts. Gather the facts. Detective Friday, just the facts, ma'am. Now, you can walk by faith and gather facts at the same time. There's no contradiction there. Do your homework. Find out everything that you can before making a choice. Biblical faith is not blind faith. I'm a Christian today, not because I've taken a leap in the dark, but I'm a believer today because I think it's logical to be a believer in biblical truth and to follow the God of the universe. That makes perfect logical sense to me. I've done the homework. I've looked at the evidence. I make a decision that cannot be proven empirically that's based on faith, but it's not a faith that's devoid of the facts. 
God doesn't want us to put our brain on a shelf as a condition of following Him. Does that make sense? So do your homework. There's no contradiction between faith and facts. Lot doesn't do anything to try and to determine whether or not he's just looking and he sees green grass and thinks this must be the best decision. He doesn't go to farmers in the area. He doesn't ask anybody if this is arable land. What kind of crops can you grow? Is there a danger here of flooding? He doesn't go and do any of that stuff, which would have been a very wise thing to do. I mean, we try to do that when you buy a house. You ask a lot of questions when you're buying a home, or at least you should. And instead, he just once again uh, doesn't do his homework and uh, moves to a place because it reminded him of Egypt. Egypt had been good to him financially. So he's basically making a decision based on what he thinks is going to benefit him financially. And yet, never ask the right questions. Proverbs 13 and 16. Every prudent man acts with what? Say it again. Now, every verse that we've been reading up thus far has used the word what? Wisdom. That's right. Very good. Now it's a different word. So it's okay to seek wisdom and it's okay to seek knowledge. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. In other words, everybody's going to know when you make a bad decision. You're going to know you didn't do your homework, and it'll be like carrying a placard around that says, look at me, the one who just made the really dumb decision because I didn't ask all the right questions. Most people make decisions based on um, what some sociologists call unbridled or uneducated enthusiasm. You know what uneducated enthusiasm? A lot of people get married based on uneducated enthusiasm. That's why they have chapels with Elvis pastors in Las Vegas. I mean, you got people going in and saying, hey, let's get married. Let's do it tonight. It feels right. And Elvis marries them, right? Uneducated, unbridled enthusiasm. What Federal Reserve Board Chairman Alan Greenspan used to call irrational exuberance, you know. Um, I've never, I am your pastor, and when I came here in 2005, I suppose that decision was the most prayed for decision I've ever encountered in my life. I mean, Judy and I prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we sought the Lord's will, uh, but I did some digging before I came to. I called the director of missions, had a conversation with him. Tell me about that church. Uh, I asked about the church's history with pastors. I'll never forget Don Wilson saying, Pastor, we've had four of them, and that's it, in 50 years. And I said, okay, that's a good tip, right? And then uh, I said, well, I'll think about it, but you're going to have to bring me out there just to wander around for a while. No commitment on either side. Well, let's just come out for a visit. You can show me the buildings and property and community. And when I get there, I'm going to want a copy of the bylaws. I want a copy of last week's bulletin, and I want a current financial statement. You see what I'm doing? I still have all those documents in a file at home. I have every bit of it. And uh, then the committee interviewed me. And then I reached down in a briefcase, and I pulled out a bunch of paper, and I said, now i got a few questions for y'all. 
And then we investigated the housing market and all that stuff. That's just what I'm talking about. Prudence. Gathering knowledge. And, uh, you know, here's the deal. It's still a faith walk. And so you can do that and you should do that. Gather the facts. Get the pros and cons. List them out on paper. But you're never going to have 100% of the facts. Right? And a lot of people never get off dead center because they never get 100% certainty. Can I make you aware of something about faith? Faith always involves a little bit of risk. Sometimes a lot of risk. Always at least a little bit of risk because you'll never have absolute certainty. You can have confidence, but confidence is not 100% certainty. If you had 100% certainty, you wouldn't need any faith, right? So God wants you to trust Him, trust His leading, which means you'll have to take a little bit of step at least into a shadow. And so faith is a confident trust in what God has said, even when you don't have all of the details. So gather the knowledge, get the facts, ask, what do I need to know before I make this decision? And then once you've done that, we seek the Lord, we seek godly counsel, we gather the facts, then fourthly, we count the cost. Count the cost. Because choices always involve a price tag. You'll have to pay some price as a part of making a big decision. It might be a separation from family. It might be a relocation. You may have to sell your home, whatever the case might be. Proverbs 20 and verse 25 says, It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. So in other words, take time to ponder and Calculate the cost. Don't wait until you've made the decision only to then find it wasn't well thought out. Be faced with the cost. Be faced with the consequences. And then be in a position where you can't undo it. And it will cost you time, money, energy, resources. And again, the Bible is filled with all kinds of examples. Moses failed to count the cost before he struck that rock and he never got to set foot in the promised land. Isn't that right? How much better it would have been if he had just taken a step back and thought for a minute before he responded in anger. David failed to count the cost when he lay with Bathsheba. And the Bible says the sword never departed from his mouth. Solomon failed to count the cost I'm having all those women in his harem, 300 wives, 700 comp, that's 1,000 women. I'm still trying to figure out how to live well with one, brothers and sisters. And it cost him the purity of the nation, compromise the kingdom after Solomon was divided irrevocably. Young John Mark failed to count the cost, and it ended up costing him a trip of a lifetime, the most important missionary journey in the history of the church. And Lot failed to count the cost. He's going to relocate his entire family to the plain of Jordan. You know what the word Jordan means in Hebrew? Anybody know? Death. The Jordan flows where? Flows south 
Where does it empty? Into the Dead Sea. Anything alive in the Dead Sea? No, nothing alive in the Dead Sea. And so the fact that he's moving, here's the deal, the Jordan Valley, the man is moving to Death Valley. Death Valley. And we're not talking TV show. And spiritually, that was a place of death. And Lot couldn't see it. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities in the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Man, that's the most notorious city in the history of the world right there. Absolute corruption, absolute deprivation, absolute sinfulness. Even though it looked beautiful to the naked eye, that's all Lot could see. Outward beauty, potential prosperity. Oh, we'll take, we'll take care. You know, the, there's an old proverb that says, if you don't want to get stung, stay away from the beehive. I mean, you can't rub shoulders with a place like that and not have it affect your family or yourself in some way eventually because the maxim is true. It's always easier to get pulled down than it is to pull someone back up. I mean, if I brought Steve Johnson up here and I said, take my hand, which would be easier, for Steve to pull me off the stage or for me to pull Steve up on it? Now, it'd be much easier for him. He's got leverage down there. And I'm teetering up here. Always easier to get pulled down than it is to get pulled up. And Lot never considered that. And it's interesting the progression here. You know, we looked at a little bit of progression on Sunday with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan came and he saw and he went and he tended his wounds and he lifted him on his mouth. There's this progression of compassion. Same is true with Lot. If you read on into <clears throat> verses at the end of verse or chapter 13, end of verse 14 and following, what you see is that here in chapter 13 and verse 10, Lot looked towards Sodom, which is what David did with Bathsheba. It always starts with a look. He looks towards Sodom. And then down in verse 12, it says, Lot pitched his tents near Sodom. By the time we get to chapter 14, we find that Lot was living in Sodom. And then by the time we get to chapter 19, we see that Lot sat in the gateway of Sodom. He'd become a community leader. He was all in when it came to civic life. In Sodom. Do you see the progression? He looked towards Sodom. He pitched his tents near Sodom. He was living in Sodom. He sat in the gateway of Sodom. He just got sucked right into the world system and ended up costing him virtually everything he had, including the life of his wife. So never decide, never choose without first counting the cost. And then when you've done these things, the only thing left to do is to fifth, move forward in faith. You have consulted God. You have sought 
wise counsel from godly people you trust. You have uh, uh, counted the cost. And now, once you've done those things, it's time to move forward in faith. Abram learned the value of uh, waiting on the Lord, I think, from his experience in Egypt. And at the same time, Lot chose for himself and, and steered his own course. It's interesting to me that Abraham is learning some lessons. And by deferring to Lot, Abraham is basically saying, Lord, I'm going to put this in your hands. So what he's doing now is what he should have done before he ever left to go to Egypt in the first place. He's letting the Lord decide for him, even though it may have seemed second best at the time. Who knows? Uh, Abraham is sitting there, and he feels compelled. The Spirit speaks to him. Let the young man choose. And so he does that. He follows the leadership of the Lord. And Lot looks around and says, I think I'm going to go this way. I'll take the Jordan Valley. I wonder how Abraham responded to that. Did he, did he go, okay, great. You take the Jordan Valley. He's taking the Jordan Valley. I wanted the Jordan Valley. What is this over here? We can barely get the grass to turn green over here, much less feed our... You take it, brother. God bless you. Love you in the Lord. He's taking the Jordan Valley. I don't know. He may have been perfectly fine with it. But he was at least willing to let God choose for him. And that was the wisest thing in the world because when it was all said and done, that was, he didn't end up with the second best. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had departed or separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I've been there. I've been near those oaks at Mamre, at Hebron, and it ain't easy to go to Hebron because it's in the West Bank. I wish I had time to tell you that story. Me and Brian Barlow and Judge Ken Bell uh, and the Attorney General of Palestine were invited to go into ancient Hebron, one of the oldest cities in the world. And we had to go through this Israeli checkpoint to get there and guards, Israeli soldiers everywhere. And it was in Palestine, a Palestinian-occupied territory. I wish I had time to tell you. I got your interest now, don't I? Man. Anyway, I'll save that for another time. But I've been there. That's where Abraham probably was buried eventually, was at Hebron. Um, and it's interesting. He went to where God told him to go and built an altar to the Lord. And you see God praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord, honoring the Lord. And when it was all said and done, he hadn't lost a thing because his choice 
was God's choice, and that made it a right choice. So this is the power of a wise decision. You ask God's direction, you seek godly counsel, you gather the facts, you count the cost, and then once you've done those four things, you move forward in faith as God gives you wisdom. There's so much I could say about this because sometimes we want, we want decision-making wrapped up in a nice, neat, tidy, gold Christmas package with a red bow, and it rarely is that way. We want the needle to be all the way over here or all the way over here before we get off dead center. Sometimes the needle will only be like that. That's all you'll have. And I've had many decisions like that in my life, just a little bit, one way or the other. But you have to decide. And once you've done your homework, you don't worry about making a right or wrong choice at that point. When you've done it right, you can then go to God honestly and say, Lord, I've sought you. I've sought the wisdom of others. We've looked at the pros and the cons. We've counted the costs. We've gathered our data. We've done everything that we know to do. And we sense, even though we're not sure, that this is the way we should go. And we trust you to bless it in the name of Christ. And don't get any ideas about God being behind a door number two where you make a wrong decision and he's got a lightning bolt ready to throw you down. It's not the way God works. You do the biblical thing and move forward in faith and trust God to bless you. And on the authority of God's word, he always will.